Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation is with Jacqueline Moriarty. Jacqueline Moriarty is an award-winning author of books for adults, children, and YA. Jacqueline's joined us on Final Draft before, discussing her Colors of Madeline trilogy, and in today's Great Conversation, she'll be discussing her latest novel, Gravity is the Thing. I'm Andrew Popel, and every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Final Draft explores the best of Australia's books, writing, and literary culture. And each week we feature an Australian writer exploring their latest work, and the Great Conversations podcast is a chance for you to hear more of these discussions and get into these books that you love. Now, can you help me share and expand the Great Conversations podcast with more book lovers? At the moment at 2SER, we're running a survey. If you go to 2SER.com forward slash survey, you can give us your thoughts and your opinions on what makes the station great and what you'd like to see done better. And that includes our podcast. So, if you can get along, 2SER.com forward slash survey, you can let me know and let us know how we can make better radio and better podcasts for you. Now, Gravity is the Thing begins with Abigail Sorensen. Abigail has been invited on an all-expenses-paid trip on an island off Tasmania's coast. There, she joins a group of strangers to discover the secret. All any of them know is that for most of their lives, they've been receiving monthly chapters of a mysterious book that started when they were 15. Now, this mysterious guidebook is more than just a curiosity to Abigail. The first chapter arrived the day before her brother went missing, and her whole life, she's wondered about that connection. Now, Jacqueline Moriarty is an award-winning author of books for adults, children, that group in between that are so mysterious they can only be referred to by their initials YA. And Jacqueline's joined us on Final Draft before, discussing her Colors of Madeline trilogy. And today, I've got her in the studio. We're going to discuss her latest novel, Gravity is the Thing. Jacqueline, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It is great. It is great to have you here. I, I do love your writing, so I'm excited. This, this book... Abigail Sorensen. So Abigail Sorensen has been invited on an all-expenses-paid trip on an island off Tasmania's coast. And there she joins a group of strangers to discover the secret. All any of them know is that for most of their lives, they've each received chapters of a mysterious book, starting when they were 15. And this mysterious guidebook is more than just a curiosity to Abigail. The first chapter arrived the day before her brother went missing, and her whole life she's wondered at the connection. So this is the setup for Gravity is the Thing. It's a vast and wonderful book, so much so that I kind of had to brainstorm all the possible things that we might talk about just to get an idea of where we might go. So do you mind, can I just give you a few things that I came up with? We're not going to get to all of them. Okay. So I've got genre bending, uh, there's self-help, ideas around coincidence, love, male privilege, fantasy and whimsy and its place in our world. Sydney, as, as both a setting and a character, love a book, love a book in Sydney. Uh, faith and our need for something to tie life together. Parenting. All of these things, and there's more, um, we could talk about. And I'm interested to see where the conversation's going to go. I also thought we should put some minor spoilers. You're, there are sort of the idea that there are bits we could spoil here, aren't there? Sure, yeah, but I'm I'm terrible with it because I, I do spoilers myself by accident. I'm confused about how to talk about this book. <laughs> so, yeah, now you've said that, we are. I, before this book got published, I used to talk about the book that I am planning to write, mm. and I would give away things that then did not, which I thought was almost like this is the hook of the book. Mm. And then 
the publishers were saying, no, 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 you don't give that away. So I, I have no idea. I think it has a lot to do with context. I think a spoiler is completely benign if you don't appreciate the large context. So at the moment, the listener has no context. We are free to talk. But I will mention that there, mm-hmm. there may be minor spoilers if you understand. Like if you're halfway through, gravity is the thing. You might sort of go, oh, why did you tell me that? Um, but I want to I see how these threads unravel in the conversation. And for me, I want to I start with Abigail's story. It seems to be framed, maybe even defined, by searching. The guidebook, her brother, I'm going to throw the name Finnegan in there, they all, they all give a cause to kind of look beyond for that thing that isn't there, or maybe it exists just beyond the horizon. And I wondered what you thought about that way of living. I, well... I remembering I'm remembering that the last time I talked to you you speak beautifully and I always just want to listen to you and I forget that then I have to speak myself I was just thinking at that moment oh come on think you have to speak now too <laughs> it's just not it's not just Andrew's job um, but if you do want to just keep talking I'm enjoying it uh, so searching I think um, in a way that's where the book came from that idea of everybody looking for something and I know people talk about that a lot but that elusive truth that everybody wants and that you can find in so many different aspects of life so people look for it in religion but they also look for it in exercise and there's often I don't know about you but I have found in my life that there's often a point where I think okay I figured it out Mm -hmm. now I understand this is how it works and I've got it all right. And then in the, a year later, no, it's all, that was all wrong. So that constant. So I think you can never, most people don't figure it out in the end, really. But Do you have a sense? I mean, do you feel like we could even agree that there is a single thing? That there's maybe something that we can hang our hat on. I don't wear a hat, but I like that expression. <laughs> that something that we can hang our thing that we wear on and say, well, even if I haven't found it, it's definitely there? That's a, Yeah, that's a really good question because probably not. But I don't know. I'm, it's still, I mean, it's, it's, it's a bit like um, think, talking about religion that you can say, I absolutely know there is God, I am spiritual, or you can say absolute rubbish, of mm. course they're not, it makes no sense. Or you can say... How can anybody possibly know? And in the end, I think that's what we always have to come down to. Mm. I don't know if there's a single answer or not, but there's constant hope that there is one answer. I think it's unlikely, Mm. though. It's all an allegorical conceit, and it's a function of our brain's wiring that we actually just try and do this, and we need a really talented storyteller to produce some 440-odd pages (laughs) to help us work through this. Where would we find someone like that? <laughs> so the narrative, Abigail's story, it unfolds sort of like memory. We, we jump back and forth across Abigail's life, viewing moments as they occur and become important to her now. What did this narrative structuring, it's a, it's a beautiful way. I, I found myself loving the way you were telling the story because sometimes we would jump back into Abigail's past and maybe we didn't need to know that, but the richness that it then provided to the story as it moved forward just gave me gave me so much. But what did this narrative structuring afford you in telling the story? Thank you. I think, well, for one thing, I've always liked fragmented storytelling and I don't know whether that's partly to do with uh, having been a lawyer mm. and I just 
loved it. It was something that I fell in love with when I was a lawyer. The idea that you could piece together a, a narrative. That a narrative is never just chronological. There's never, and there's never one story. There's always several different perspectives. And that the best kind of storytelling I found, something that takes you closer to the truth, is something that does uh, jump around between different angles and perspectives. And that uh, who you are, and so there's that time. So, yeah, when I was a lawyer, I remember trying to put cases together from boxes of documents and you'd have boxes of uh, legal documents, contracts and um, leases on land and that kind of thing and then you'd have a letter from um, an elderly woman who had handwritten the letter and was uh, pleading for someone to help her in this situation and so then you would see that life is there are so many um different layers to life there's mm. that personal individual emotional and there's the technical contractual the intellectual and a thousand other ones as well mm. so choosing just one is never the answer and my all my young adult books my YA books were always written in epistolary almost all of them I think I seem to have letters and notes and trying to get the to the story from that angle but with this one, I think it was more that everybody is, uh, you. it's almost like you are a stack of different experiences. So each thing that happens to you draws on, as an adult, will almost you f be start finding yourself flickering through a stack of papers that are all the memories and experiences that you have had that relate in various ways to what's happening now or that mm. you believe relate to what's happening now so how you put together the narrative of your life um, can change constantly and can be wrong and you need to be questioning it um, but yeah I'm answering in a very long way a simple question <laughs> but yeah I just thought different perspectives and the fact that we are made up of multiple layers of experience and that mm. they go ding 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 against each other and sometimes misfire and mm. and it's important to say if i can borrow that we should be kind to our former selves yes now i i'm i'm loath to draw too strong parallels between authors and their characters but abigail is also a lawyer and i recall a point in the book where she is talking about being a lawyer and the idea that if you want to counter a particular narrative, if you're arguing, you have to have a you, know, you have to have a strong counter narrative. You can't just say, "Well, that story's rubbish." Mm -hmm. We need a strong alternative, and that that strikes me. We come back to this idea of searching, and that the way we make sense is to tell stories. And when we we want to get rid of one story, we have to tell another one. And Abigail is is very much a storyteller, isn't she? Of her own so. life, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's also an ensemble of characters. And much like in life or our social media feeds, they kind of come and go. Was it a challenge to manage uh, manage the ensemble or is it is it much like the social media? That's the perfect model where people come and go. Perhaps we see them as they need, but it's really they're just living their counter story somewhere else. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I guess that's what life is, is like, that people are living the most elaborate lives. I remember when I lived overseas for a few years, I lived in England and America and um, Canada in Montreal, and this, it was interesting 
that I was just getting glimpses of what was happening with my family because this is before these days social media and and technology means you can actually keep up mm. um, with the day-to-day small events of other people's lives. But I do remember having this feeling of, firstly, the strangeness of it and the sadness. I'm missing out on a, the, the sort of cumulative day-to-day experience of what's happening to my mm. sisters and my parents and just getting these little fragments from them. But also sometimes a, re- a relief because, you know, there's all this drama in life and mm. often huge things happen and you go through it with somebody else and then it all gets sorted out. So I was... We would talk on the phone occasionally, and it's international calling rates, so it wasn't very often and not mm-hmm. very long. And I would just get the summary of my family's dramatic stories, and sometimes this relief. I'm glad I didn't have to feel all of that through the. So, I yeah. So, keeping. But you asked about keeping a track of all the characters. I just um, I wrote this book over fifteen fifteen years, and I kept coming back to it myself and rewriting it and changing it so the char- I felt like I knew the characters very well mm. and that it wasn't difficult because I, they seemed real to me. Can we talk about flying? I feel like the title, Gravity is the Thing, and the cover for people that, uh, that and see it, there is a, a beautiful, beautiful sort of soft blue horizon with someone perhaps jumping, perhaps falling to the ground suspended in midair. I feel like the title and the cover give us enough that it's not too much of a spoiler to, to think that there is there is flying or something to do with flying. And it's it's so much of the imagery and purpose of the novel that as I read, it almost faded into this kind of middle ground and I stopped thinking about the literal act. It was It was something that was there. And similarly, none of the group, whom I'm going to leave as a little bit mysterious, uh, none of them believe too much in flying. But that leaves open the question of their true motivations for coming together. Why are they Why are they together? And we come back to this theme of searching. What happens when different people searching for different things find themselves searching together? Oh, interesting question. Mm. Yes, because then... And that and that's also how life works, isn't it? That we are all troubled and and have have our own dreams, and it's mm. just fascinating the way that it it that it works. I often think when you look back on relationships and friendships, and how everyone in that friendship group have their own traumatic pasts or or episodes of trauma from their lives, and they have their own objectives and dreams. I find it. And that's just true of of humanity generally. Mm. It is remarkable how well we get along, how much we forgive of other people's, because we all misunderstand each other so much. So it's remarkable we ever actually understand each other. It, exactly, it, and it's remarkable. I just think so much of of things that people say that are so wrong, mm. and so and um, reveals so much that cannot know at all somebody else's experience and you know just walking along this the street and someone being scowling as you walk past you have no idea what is going on behind that person's mm. head and then we clash in small ways like doing transactions or um but just 
I just feel like people could be exploding all the time and breaking out into fistfights mm-hmm. because we don't understand each other's experiences at all. But there must be some common humanity that even though... So things like the, the different... Um, different minorities experiences and the big white stupid majority just crushing people all the time Mm. but somehow there's this element of forgiveness and we will just keep we'll just keep trying to figure it out and solve these issues and maybe it's because even though everyone is completely different and has these different experiences there is we're all in some basic way, searching for a similar thing. Was there ever a sense for you, because you mentioned how well you knew all the characters throughout the process, and of course they come together in a most extraordinary way. I'm not telling you, I'm not telling anyone what, how. <laughs> but they come together in this most extraordinary way, but there's something so ordinary about their lives, and I mean that in no other way than it, it could be someone that you know or are about to meet today. Um, was there ever a sense that this book could have been... Uh, Sasha's story or Niall's story or Wilbur's story and Abigail was just the person you picked? Oh, that's an interesting um, question. You know, yeah, maybe. I wonder. <clears throat> it's funny, when you write something over 15, over 15 years, you forget a lot of things. I was thinking, you know, school kids are always saying when they study poems or things and the teachers say tell them this means blah and the kids are always saying oh as if the poet meant that they did like you this is all just rubbish i was thinking because i was thinking about this so much for so long i probably did mean everything that people are in the the ways that people are interpreting it but i forget what i meant <laughs> so actually the school kids and the teachers are probably would do a better job of interpreting it than i did but i'm that's nice that you say that mm. that um that if you think that hopefully that means the characters seem real to you mm. and of course gravity is the thing we've talked about searching and of course when you search you're looking for some sort of anchor you're looking for maybe a, a belief system or something you can pin yourself to, to to tie you just to a way of being. Throughout, Abigail runs sort of the gamut of self-help books. And I am I have to imagine that you also did in your research, did a lot of this reading and explores these various systems that we try to, you know, try to give ourselves to fit our life into a purpose or a structure. Do you have any insight into what happens when we let that go, let go of that search that one thing might be out there? I feel. I think a lot of people probably let it go eventually mm. and there's relief in that, but also um, loss and confusion. So even then you're trying to get the balance right, aren't you? Mm. I think um, reading all those... So yeah, I read a lot of self-help books to research for mm. it and I, I worried about what it was doing to my mind mm. because I hadn't actually been interested in self-help particularly before i've been quite cynical Mm. about self-help before this and i grew up i was raised catholic so i don't know whether that helped in a way that i had a foundation of belief which i could then as i became a teenager and grew older then could start to question and feel defiant about and find problematic So I already had a fountain foundation that in many ways I had rejected, but perhaps still had some residual spirituality, which in itself 
can can help, but fundamentally had rejected. So I had that, and then I thought, okay, uh, self-help is nonsense. <laughs> and um, I just was aware of it around me, and self-help comes in so many different forms. Mm. As you know, there's, you know, there's those books. So I was interested in, I became interested in the books that took over the um, Western world, those ones mm. that everybody was reading about and believing in those huge bestsellers. And I'd not read them before. And partly I felt like maybe that's a sort of arrogance. I'm too good for that. I don't need that or something. I've got my own, my own way of approaching life. And but partly it was the cynicism that no book can solve this incredibly complex life that we are all leading, and that you know in your heart how you should approach you. You know, there's that basic things that you hear about, and, and so self help also comes in just little lines and mottos and those irritating little you know aphorisms that you see on on social media with mm. a misty cat picture in the background i was um, thinking of cats too <laughs> <laughs> i like the cats but, but but anyway those things can be helpful sometimes mm. just a little um just a little piece of wisdom can remind you but in a sense you really know these things mm. be a good person work hard be kind to other people be kind to yourself these basic rules for life are what is going to work for you mm. but um no, I'm getting lost, sorry. Yes, so reading these self-help books, when I finally started reading them, it I, it was extremely confusing because I, f- I was finding that half of my head was really cynical, as it always had been. That So I'm talking about books that say things like, if you ask the universe um, specifically for what you want, it will find a way to give it to you. Mm-hmm. And... So I was very cynical about that because that's ridiculous. Of course, there's no elaborate universe trying to that if you, you in particular, ask this question, um, it will find a way to give you this. And it, I was also really angry with these books because they were very materialistic and very focused on um, this sort of middle class white ideal of this and of this selfish. Um, yearning that we have for a fancy car or a, a big house. So the Feel, books feels like if you unpack the invisible backpack, it's going to have a few self-help books in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So these books that were saying, okay, this is what you do if you want an expensive watch, watch and a flashy, flashy car. You ask the universe and blah, blah, blah. blah. And it would make, make me so angry because I would think, you... If you actually can ask the universe for a car for yourself, why are you not asking the universe? Can you please give everybody a home and and to solve the problems of, um, you know, provide us with world peace? Why are you asking the universe for a flashy car? So, yes, a big part of my mind was angry about it. And the other part of my mind was thinking, but maybe it's true. Mm. And maybe I should try this. And I was finding myself trying every self-help book that I did. There was a part of me that was believing in it, absolutely, and thinking, I'm going to try this mm. because I actually would like a nice house. <laughs> <laughs> and I would like, um, I don't know, I would um, like 
and I'll ask for it for my family. I will be generous. I'll ask for it for the world too. Let's see if this technique actually mm. works. And it's very, I found it really troubling. But at the same time, I was talking to some people, um, some other authors telling them about this book and and talking about being quite cynical about self-help. Mm. And they were all agreeing, except that then afterwards one of them took me aside and said, self-help books like he said to me in confidence don't tell anybody this but self-help books saved my life for me and he was saying i was 16 i was in trouble my my life was going to hell basically and i found this series of books and applied them to my to myself and my life and that's why i am and he was a successful mm. author and i can't say who he was because he said in confidence so they can be. They can also have a great. It's complicated. <laughs> it's these, yeah, these terrible pattern-making brains that we have, mm. where we don't need too many pieces to start to see a picture. Right. Exactly. Mm. I am speaking with Jacqueline Moriarty, and we are discussing gravity is the thing. Now, I I teased spoilers, and we have this wonderful setup where Abigail Sorensen is about to discover the truth of this guidebook she's received for her entire life. And I've, I've sort of been skimming through my questions and I realised we're I don't have many, many more that are spoiler, spoiler safe. But before I, um, before I let you go, Jacqueline, I, I love your writing. Like, I adored the Mad- Colours of Madeline trilogy. I've loved Gravity is the Thing. And the last time we spoke, I had actually read all three of the Colours of Madeline before the interview, because apparently back then I had a lot of free time to read. <laughs> three books just for, for one conversation. Um... It occurred to me as I read Gravity that there there are a few interesting parallels. We have this missing person, uh, this idea that a sibling is missing. Uh, there are these elements of mysterious wonder. But I remember, well, for anyone who's read Colors of Madeline realized that there is a, a much more fantastical element. But there is also a grounding to it. There is very much a grounding. Did you find themes like this the things that you're drawn to? Are these ideas that you you're searching out yourself? I, yeah, I think um, the, the it's connected in a way because the missing persons. Well, it's a it's a narrative convention in a sense, isn't it? That a missing person, especially in a fantasy world, so the the hero's father or somebody mm. is missing, so they have to go on a quest to find mm. them or find out what happened to them. So that made sense for the. Colors of Madeline trilogy, and when I was writing that, because it was the first time I'd written fantasy, I, it was important to me to make it as authentic, emotionally authentic, as my other books had hopefully been. Um, and so I wanted it to be almost like realistic, realistic fiction in a fantasy world. Mm. And so because of that, and I had that convention of the father, the main the main character's father has disappeared. And so I thought, I want to really understand what it feels like to have a father who's missing or have a mm. person who is missing in your life. And I started reading a lot of books about um, about missing persons and mm. and it was heartbreaking, of course, and just trying to understand this idea of um, having to live with this ambiguity of that perfect balance between hope and despair because mm. and nobody actually knowing so I was connected to the idea that I originally had which was 
this is about people looking for truth. This is like about people wanting an answer, which is really what I wanted too because I grew up feeling like I'm hopeless at life. I don't mm. understand what you're supposed to do. I want somebody to send me a guidebook and tell me this is how often you need to go to the dentist. This is the time when you should be learning how to bake bread. Now you should start using moisturizer and you should break up with this person even though you think they're a nice person because they are boring you. They, you need to break up with them. Blah, blah, all these things. I thought I need a guidebook because we are all just giving each other this random ad hoc advice. So you need a guidebook. So everyone, and I feel like everyone wants, what's the answer? So when someone's missing, there's that fundamental, that's the bigger truth that is missing from your life. If you have to live with with a family, a close family, a close friend, a close family member or friend who is missing and you have no idea where they are, then you have the biggest question of all. And you might have to even find a way to live your life without ever finding that truth. So that's what I, I think infiltrated this book in a way. And yes, I am interested in, so I'm always interested in the search for truth. And I think when I was writing the Colors of Madeline trilogy was when my, um, at the time when my marriage broke up, when my new baby was born. And my, so my little baby's um, father went to Canada. Mm. And um, so that idea of, so I was thinking of him, my child, and in a sense he has a missing father, mm. even though he knows where he is, it, there's that, a, a big absence in his life so yeah. that also was what I think was was taking up space in my mind yeah. so. Thank you for indulging me that question because that is sort of asking someone about their body of work in that way is is probably daunting and intrusive <laughs> Not at all, no, it's a really good question No, I liked it and I'm sorry I talk so much I'm yeah I'm going to try and keep my answers shorter now not at all well I mean I am speaking with Jacqueline Moriarty uh, her latest novel is Gravity is the Thing I'm going to I'm going to wrap up the official part of our conversation I might try and catch some spoiler type stuff off the record now just to remind people uh, we've we've covered so much and and yet we didn't get to when I brainstormed we didn't really talk about uh, ideas around male privilege and uh, the way that impacted on Abigail. We didn't talk so much about Sydney as a setting and a character. I love I love a book set in Sydney where I can walk streets and, and feel like I'm just a few paces behind the character. Um, we didn't talk about parenting, so many things. Uh, but you've been so lovely joining me again. Thank you so much, Jacqueline. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. That's it for this great conversation with Jacqueline Moriarty. Jacqueline's latest novel is Gravity is the Thing, and it's out now through Pan Macmillan. Great Conversations is recorded on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation at 2SER's Broadway Studios in Sydney, Australia. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. To keep up with the latest in books, writing and literary culture, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Just look for at Final Draft 2SER. And don't forget, if you'd like to let me know what you're enjoying and what you'd like to see done differently on the show, you can go to 2SER.com forward slash survey. Fill in the survey and be a part of crafting our future. My name is Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft.